Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Security Insider podcast. And today we are talking with Paul Metzheiser, Managing Director at Tamco. And Tamco are a company based out of the US that have for the last 28 years specialized in helping uh, businesses work with technology as a service. And our discussion today is around Paul's presentation uh, that he gave at the ISC West Conference, which is managing recurring revenue or creating recurring revenue within the security industry. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. So glad to be here with you. Now, Paul, you you gave a very interesting presentation during the uh, the recent ISC West conference around how companies can create more opportunities by using recurring monthly revenue. Yet it's not all quite as simple as it sounds. There were eight pillars to this process. There's a number of different things that need to consider. Um, and one of the things that you've pointed out is there is a big difference between technology as a service and leasing. So perhaps we can start at the best point, which is the beginning, and you can tell us a little bit about the differences between leasing and technology as a service, and then we can look at the various different pillars on how this can be done. Now, that, that's, a, that's a great way to start, John. Um, it, it, it's interesting because if you look at leasing, um, in our sector, 99.9% of all of them are designed or end up in ownership. And it, when you have technology as a service, there's one thing you cannot do with the service, and that is you cannot own a service. So we, we immediately depart from the leasing because it's not designed for ownership. And we believe there are compelling reasons why a customer should never want to own these technologies. And even more, that integrators don't want them, and we support that. The second part of it is really performance. Um, there's nothing you can really do within a lease as it relates to prevention of technology obsolescence. And a true as a service uh, provides the customer the ability to move into new technology without a financial penalty. A traditional lease would basically take the balance of payments and roll it into the new, and it makes it very cost prohibitive to, to, to do that in its competitive nature. So fundamentally, those are the two differences. It really comes down to outcome and performance during the term, which our terms are usually five years. Sorry, you, you that word a bit funny there. Five to how long? Five to 10 years, did you say? Well, no, the, the term that we would provide in an as a service, the maximum is five years. Okay. Uh, from that standpoint. So we, we all know, you know, the, the uh, technology is moving so quickly. The manufacturers are spending a tremendous amount of money in research and development. And what we sell today uh, could be, doesn't have to be, but could be replaced in two, three years. Yeah. So that's a big factor of if, when, and how businesses procure and buy. If we're talking about a retail environment, though, let's say a large supermarket chain where they're they're doing an as-a-service system on uh, CCTV. That's a lot of cameras to turn over every five years. And I see that creating two issues. The first being the volume of, of equipment that would be needed every five years. And the second being what happens with the second hand equipment that then gets turned over? Yeah, I mean, that's unfortunately that, that uh, technology, John, and that equipment is worth pennies on the dollar. So it's really, it doesn't have much value. But you look at the cameras are really a great example, uh, theft protection, theft prevention and, and things of that nature. 
Um, so yeah, it, it might take a lot to uh, turn over one grocery store chain, but you usually do that in milestones over a period of time. And the, the, um, the cost of that or the investment into that can prevent quite a bit uh, based on the rapid movement of technology. So it's it just one of, those, one of those cycles over time. Right. Now, tell us a little bit about the various eight pillars that go into creating a recurring monthly revenue program. Yeah, I mean, the reason we created the eight pillars to help integrators see the big picture is that um, we've interviewed a probably over two, 300 security integrators in the US in the past two or three years. And the majority of them have a service offering that they could sell multi-year maintenance with their project-based sale. They just aren't very effective doing that. So maybe one out of 10. So they have this ability to do that. They just can't package it. And there's a myriad of reasons for that. So we created the eight pillars to really try to help them in an as-a-service offering. So there's, it starts with the as-a-service offering. Most transactions today are sold in a cash or a CapEx. And if there's any type of warranty, it's very difficult to offer that to a customer and say, here's something for X and here's something Y for years two, three, four, and five. Yet there's a 12 month warranty and I don't have to make that decision. So we found that in an as a service offering, if we bundle that all together, it's a lot more palatable for the end customer to absorb that and embrace that. And then from an integrator standpoint, if, if we just roll out that product by itself and don't look at the other seven pillars, we have found from experience, it's just really not going to take a foothold simply because we've been buying and selling in this sector the same way for 10, 20, 30 years. So the first pillar is really leadership commitment. I want to build recurring revenue. I want to make a pivot. I want to make a conscious effort to sell more services with my new system sales. And we've learned that it starts and stops with leadership. Second is have that, you know, productize that service offering. Um, I'm sorry, excuse me. Make sure you can support that service offering with your service level agreements and um, your response times, your ability for your engineers and your, your salespeople to price it up. Third is to productize it. That's make it clear for your prospects, your customers, gold, silver, bronze, whatever it might be. The fourth would be the training. Uh, obviously now we're going from CapEx and, and now selling a subscription consumption model, which is a monthly payment. So it's a different way to position. It's a different conversation. The vernacular is different. And then the, the fifth would be an as a service. The sixth is compensation. Make sure that you are paying your salespeople, if it's important to you as a principal or a leader of an organization, to try to increase your overall revenue 30, 40% each time, make sure that's passed on. Marketing is tell the world. You've got a wonderful story to tell, whether that's social media, your website, um, bundles, whatever it might be. And then the last thing is just leadership inspection. So that's just kind of the macro. And then we, we do a deeper dive in each and every one of those. And we help them beyond the as a service offering. We help them with the marketing. We help them with the training, best practices on compensation and all of those things to really make a pivot. And if they have the mindset that, that it's really a, they want to be a service organization first and pull through equipment and solutions, 
that helps. And then obviously the benefit of recurring revenue just adds to the valuation and the stability of the organization. Now, I'm imagining that this is not something that most integrators are set up to go out and do themselves. There would, like any sort of financial offering, there would need to be some sort of financial partner involved in this. That is correct. And that's that's one of the challenges is that you have a lot of as-a-service offerings from third-party companies that are dressed up leases. So you need to find the, the expertise and the offering. To do it on your own is very difficult. It, there's a lot of expertise. Um, there's a lot of inventory management, capital, and it's usually not sustainable, maybe on a one-off here and there. But to build a program, you have to find a good partner that understands that you're taking equipment and converting it into a subscription consumption model. So yeah, that's very important. And that's how we got involved in the business. That's our area of expertise, but we've blossomed out into the other seven pillars to really try to help these integrators make that transition. Yeah. One of the things that we have seen in the last probably decade here in Australia, and I imagine it's probably the same in the US, in the automobile industry, is that we have seen a lot of the auto manufacturers themselves decide that they're going to start getting involved in the financing of their product and start offering terms. Do you see that kind of thing potentially happening here in the security industry where the big companies like the Milestones and the Axises and companies like that say, okay, well, we're going to get involved in this. We're going to be the financier, for better lack of a better term, to help the integrators offer our product to their clients as part of a packaged uh, technology as a service and recurring monthly revenue model. That's probably a bigger bite of uh, at the apple than, than they would even want. And here's why. Um, they're the first ones to admit that not their, their solutions or their equipment is not the only thing in all of these solutions. That's why they're called integrators. There are many other products. So they're going to have to get comfortable financing and standing behind these other products, not just their own. So yeah. that's what makes it very difficult, not only in physical security and AV, for the manufacturers to do that. Then they're getting involved in true air and labor and things of that nature that they don't have an area of expertise. Their area of expertise is that product, but unfortunately that product is not the only ingredient in the solution. So I would think that would be a tall task for even some of the bigger players that are out there. Um, maybe on one-offs, maybe on some large, large opportunities, but as a program, and to help the integrator community, I don't know if that's that's something that we'll see. Okay. So coming back to these eight pillars, you said it starts with leadership commitment. What do you mean by leadership commitment? Yeah, um, we kind of have the, the, the joke. Sometimes within these organizations, we see the inmates running the asylum. And that is the power <laughs> of the salespeople that are, you know, basically um, very, very successful. But what, what this is, is change. And the leader has to be an agent of change for the betterment and the financial strength of their organization. And it's human nature to resist change. So that leader has to have conviction and lead by example, um, simply for the reasons that they're gonna have a higher multiple, a higher valuation. And if their end game is to sell the organization, recurring revenue is gonna make them look a heck of a lot better. So that's what, you know, it really comes down because if they say, hey, we want to kick this off, we want to do this, 
and they go back to their old ways or they're not enforcing and inspecting, that's what we'll all do. They'll go back to the salespeople, go back to their old ways as well. So it's not yeah. rocket science. It's not difficult, but it does take that leadership to really say, hey, we're going to make a pivot and it's for the right reasons. And, and here are those reasons. And I suppose that requires a mind shift on behalf of the business development team as well, because they're moving from a one-off sales mentality to that recurring monthly revenue. And that's possibly a harder sell initially until they get their heads around that. Is that correct? Well, yeah, initially it is because it's new and it's, it's something they haven't done ever. Um, but when you break it down and, and you look at the value behind those services, Here's the nice thing about selling multi-year maintenance today. Security is uh, essential use, uh, arguably mission critical. So to not have multi-year maintenance when a lot of these security networks are riding on you know, the infrastructure of the organization and blending into IT and AV, there's just a lot of things that could go wrong. That's the you know, the, the assets of, our, our, of the, the organizations, the intellectual property, all the things that need to be protected. So in the past, it might've been a little bit more difficult to sell multi-year maintenance. Today, it's not. AV as well, it's, you know, essential use. It's the way we're communicating. So yeah. there, there are just a lot of things that are on the side that make very good business sense for the salespeople to make that pivot and that transition. It's new and therefore it's challenging, but it's not difficult long-term. Does this require something of a mind shift on behalf of the customer? Because most people who haven't been exposed to this kind of model before want things that they can hug and hang on to and own. Right. And, and so what's, what's nice about that, first of all, you're right, um, but it's changed because the subscription consumption model has, has been a, a means of procurement now in some other fashion within their organization. It may not be security, so the security integrators are going to inter introduce security as a service, but they've maybe bought software as a service or device as a service or whatever it might be. And through the conviction and the logic and the rationale of why it's not in their best interest to own it, and that's what it really comes down to, and why it's in their best interest to use it as a service and reinvest the capital back in the organization. And that's what we, we train them to, to, to position find the pain points and solve. And, and that's really, it, it is an education process, but you're right. They're used to doing it a certain way. The good news for all of us, and, and even us, that we've been at this for 28 years, we're finally getting a lift because the, the recognition of the subscription consumption model is moving over to all of the sectors in which we buy and sell goods. Yeah. So then you said that you need to be able to make sure that you can support the service offering. What does that mean? So the, the integrators need to feel comfortable that if there is a service agreement and there are service level uh, agreements within that terms and conditions on response times and, and things of that nature and the technical expertise that they're comfortable uh, to fulfill their promise of value. That as a customer that I know, if anything breaks down, there'll be a four-hour response time and there's going to be the technical expertise to fix the problem. So the, the customer needs to have that peace of mind and the integrator principal needs to feel good about their service offering, their technical expertise, their people, their troubleshooting, and so on. 
That's really yeah. what that means. And if they do, they're really, what we always say is they're sitting on a gold mine. They just need to change the way they sell and increase not just the project, but that multi-year maintenance and service for year two, three, four, and five. Yeah. And then you said number three was helping position the customer between gold, silver, bronze. So what are we talking about there? Well, that, that was a good question. And that was really just an example. So what we see a lot of the organizations is they'll do all the technical things to stand behind their service, like we just talked about, but then they don't productize it. So what we'll suggest is productize service or multi-year maintenance. Call it, give it a name. And I just use gold, silver, bronze as an example. You might have three different offerings. We commonly see two, 24-7, Monday through Friday. And there's different price points and there's different protections or responses and things of that nature. What's important and what I meant in number three is to productize it for your prospects, your customers, and even the salespeople. Make it really easy. What's the difference between the two? And these, this is the value within those services. Productize it. I suppose that also helps from a, a sales point of view because you're giving people points of value against which to anchor the value of the service. If I'm if I'm offering you a Monday through Friday versus a 24-7, you can see the value chain and, and what we're getting there. Right. And it really comes down to a question of which one um, yep. is, is best for you. Um, and that that is exactly right. And we've seen we've actually watched service um, that, that evolve as well with concierge services, proactive every six months and do the things that what we would say differentiate yourself within that service against the competition. And that also helps you kind of take a look within the organization. Where, where is my security lying and, and, and a kind of a, a maintenance check to prevent the number of times as an integrator that you have to head out there, therefore reduce your cost and your calls and increase your margin on a monthly basis and the recurring revenue and so on. Okay. And then you had uh, number four was training your business development team to think about this correctly. Yeah. So, you know, we have to, uh, again, for whatever reason, and it's okay that, and as a service gets put into the stereotype of a lease. So we, we have to flip the script, change the vernacular. There's no such thing as rate, ownership, rate factor, amortization, um, any of those things. It is a service that you're selling. So it, it comes down to the positioning, the questions that you're asking, and, and the description. And there are a lot of different you know, ways when you think about it, selling a CapEx versus a monthly payment, it's a lot different in its position and its offering and what you're solving for. So yeah. training is a big part of it. And again, that, that's not rocket science. And sometimes that's a little bit challenging too, because you have successful salespeople that have been selling a certain way in cash for a long period of time. And again, there's, there's you know, that component of the eight pillars is very, very important. So what are some of the most common objections you're finding that they're coming across when they're shifting to this new model of sales? Well, that's, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, we have to be careful because sometimes we'll get an integrator contact us and say, Hey, I have an opportunity. And then we'll come back and say, we're really not set up for a one-off and here's why. What yeah. if they say, what's the interest rate? What's your salesperson going to say? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, there is no interest rate, but that's in training. 
what happens at the end of the term. You know, all the things that people just kind of take for granted, I can, I can quantify it into a monthly payment and um, off we go. So those are the things customers will put it into a lease bucket and try to analyze it that way if we don't position it the right way. And that comes into the training. So most of the misconceptions and the objections come from a lack of positioning or education that are out there. But there are very few that we haven't heard and really can't teach an integrator to overcome. Right. Now, number five, remind me of number five. I missed that one while I was joining. Well, number five is really just, again, if, you know, in a non-proprietary way, one of the eight pillars is a true as a service, a pure as a service. You know, we have our as a service, but let's say I'm, I'm just trying to, we're trying to help and educate the audience here. Um, find a, a true as a service, not a dressed up lease. Um, be careful of the lease vernacular. Be careful of how it ends uh, the, as far as the, the, the agreement. So again, think of the outcome and performance, and those are the two differences. Okay. And, and then, then six was, six was compensation, compensation. Yeah. Yeah. Compensation. So this is a big one because, you know, you can get up there as a leader and say, we're going to make these, these transitions and this pivot to sell more services. And these are all the reasons, and it'll make complete sense. But at the end of the day, salespeople want to get paid. Yeah. So you're going to increase the value to the organization by increasing the top line revenue, building recurring revenue. And what a leader should do is if you're able to capture that with the project-based sale at the point of sale, reward them. And we have some best practices on how to reward them. And it really comes down to pay them more and pay them up front. Don't pay them over time. Right. That's so good. you're you're moving away from that sort of trailing commissions model into more of an upfront thing or? <clears throat> yeah. And simply because, and if there's some salespeople that are listening, I'm sure they'll agree. We're not wired that way. We want, we want the money now. So the leader and the organization can take it over time because it's building the foundation and the financial strength of the organization. But as salespeople, um, we want it today. So there's some, some best practices that we would recommend integrators if they embrace this model. Right. And then you spoke about marketing and the importance of marketing this offering correctly. What is correctly versus incorrectly? Well, you know, the, there's really two ways to get the, the word of mouth out there, and that's through the salespeople or and that's through marketing. So we're going to work on the training of the salespeople and the leader is going to hopefully uh, encourage them and, and really motivate them to want to be trained. But the world we live in today in the, the digital medium, John, is that you can get the word out there through you know, social media um, and blogging and, and all, these, all these different tactics. So what we say is tell the world there's a reason why you embrace this, this model. And, and share it. Uh, number one, it's representation. So the vernacular in the proposal, what we'll recommend is that each integrator keep your cash proposal, but we'll help you build an as a service proposal because the ownership and the performance and the itemized pricing don't belong in an as a service. Then there's the website, um, tell the world, have a landing page, explain what it is, why you did that, why you're offering that. And none of this we're suggesting that you abort the cash offering, 
but you're going to make a recommendation. Social media tactics, uh, whether it's blogging, LinkedIn, whatever it might be, and then weave it into your marketing automation campaign to your prospects, to your customers. Build bundles, small, medium, and large, $1,500, $250 a month, whatever it is, built on a certain configuration. It never winds up on that configuration, but you're marketing to the prospect about a bundle with an as-a-service, and it includes this. And then it just becomes a repetitive type of, of messaging and value and case studies, and you're a, you do webinars and you become a thought leader as an integrator. So that never really ends, but that's a very, very big part of it and something we actually help integrators do uh, to get started. We put them in an edit mode. Uh, they don't have to really uh, build the wheel. They just have to kind of fine tune it. Yeah. And then you mentioned the last one here is leadership inspection. And I'd like to talk about that for a second. And then I want to come back with some questions around the marketing and sales piece. But what do you mean by leadership inspection? Well, it, it, it's one thing for a leader to embrace it, to get their company behind it. But uh, I think I might have mentioned it before. They can't go away. They have to follow through. They have to inspect. Um, you know, to work with that financial partner on the, what's working, what's not working, who's using it, um, and, and so on, the engagements, and that's quarterly business reviews, and really being involved. And that's when, you know, ultimately, they have to remind themselves, why did I do this? To build recurring revenue. Well, that, that's ongoing. That's year over year over year. So inspecting all the pillars, whether it's the, the training, the marketing, uh, reevaluating the compensation, making sure your service is um, not stale, uh, you've added new things, you've added value. Um, those, all those things to work on the, the pillars is part of that inspection and, and really enforcement. Now, I imagine that this would in some ways, and correct me if I'm wrong, be scary for a lot of companies up front, because what we're doing is we're taking a huge amount of our income and we're deferring it over a longer time period. So instead of getting big lump sums up front, I'm now spreading that income out over, say, five years. What does that do to my bottom line and my balance sheet? Well, John, that's a really good question. I'm glad you asked that because the way we work in the States is that we still pay the integrator for the lump sum project up front. So that doesn't change. Right. What we do is we sell, we give them the maintenance over a period of time. Right. So let's just say a hundred thousand dollar transaction and, and, and I'm using the, you know, our currency, but, um, we would still pay the integrator the hundred thousand dollars. And let's say there was $40,000 of multi-year maintenance. We pay that to the integrator as we receive it off of that monthly amount every month for 16 months. That's how they build recurring revenue on the service portion of it. So we don't change the one-time revenue piece of it. It's just adding the multi-year maintenance which historically has not been captured successfully in a cash sale. Yeah. And I guess that's the, the linchpin of why you really need a financial partner to actually pull this off properly, because you need someone to be able to take that large lump sum at the beginning, provide it, and then wear it over the period of five years or whatever it may be. That is, that is correct. And again, you know, we, we do 
we can't uh, provide our offering um, everywhere, but we do do some consulting. So we can certainly help in that area. Uh, the, what we've learned or what we've been forced to do, John, is we got to make that as smooth as possible for the customer and the integrator. And historically, it's been bumpy and choppy um, simply because we have equipment. And now we're, equipment, we're, we're merging equipment and services and labor and all those things. Um, and it's, it's our job to really make that as smooth as possible for all parties. Yeah. And I guess with that leadership inspection, you you can't manage or you can't monitor what you can't inspect, really. So, yeah, the no, um, no. just just around that marketing and sales piece, I guess the the other side of that that I wanted to ask you about a, a little bit was getting the salespeople on board and getting them to actually properly understand that. I know you mentioned that in the uh, the leadership commitment and training for business development. But do you find that's one of the most challenging aspects is getting the business development team to be able to position this properly in the minds of the customers? And then there's a follow-up question around that that we'll come to in a second around how I broach this with existing customers who've been living under a particular model for X amount of time. But yeah, yeah. It, well, actually, we've already covered the, the sales trading side of things a little bit. So let's go straight to that. I mean, if I've got an existing pool of customers how do I broach this conversation with them? That is a great question. And we get that, we get that a lot. And what we'll do is we'll say, we'll break it in two. So we'll train, uh, have the orientation and the training and anything net new, you can go after them with this approach all day long. If it's an existing customer, we can't fail to recognize that we've been selling to them a certain way and uh, just abruptly say, hey, this is what we have. So what we'll do and suggest and recommend is that the integrator bring together, whether a webinar or whatever it is, in a non-sale situation, not in the fray of a sale, and say, hey, we've embraced this new security as a service. We'll gladly you know, take your cash to what we've done in CapEx in years past, but there's a reason we've done that, and we want to introduce it to you, um, and it's really very educational. And so that takes some time, but what you should never do is in the fray of a sales process, try to introduce this to an existing customer that has used CapEx for X amount of years. And so from the mindset standpoint, we have to work with the integrator and say, let's break it in two. There's really two types of sales. There's net new, competitive, 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 existing, maybe they'll check, you know, check on us once or twice, but we have to recognize we've been selling to them a certain way. Yeah, because it, it would seem that you need to be able to, well, it would seem to me on the surface of just having this conversation with you that you need to be able to pick your target. Because for example, if I am working for a large facilities management company like a Jones Lang Wooten or whoever it may be that build large buildings and then lease out that space, they most often want to defer their security purchases from a capital expenditure to an operating expenditure. In other words, we're going to defray all this onto the cost of our tenants, let them pay for it. So this isn't necessarily a model that I'd want to talk to them about, or am I wrong about that? No, you do have to look at each one and you have to look at how they procure, the history of they, the, they procure. You don't want to disrupt that. And if you also have multiple chains that would have to maybe understand and learn this, and that's why it might take a little bit longer. Again, we've, we've trained the buyer 
to procure with a CapEx model for years and years and years. So it is gonna take some time through some education in non-sales events to understand where and when it might work best. What we, we, we will say quite a bit is don't play judge and jury. Um, you won't lose any credibility by talking about it, positioning it and recommending it. And you, you'll never lose a sale. Um, that's the, the biggest thing is, uh, you know, what happens? We're not suggesting you don't offer the cash, offer both or make a recommendation. Now our top integrators, they only offer an as a service. They'll force the customer to come back and ask them for cash. And that does happen, but they make a financial recommendation just like they make a technological recommendation. And I guess there's a number of valid reasons why you're able to make that recommendation from life cycle of product to upgradability of technology through to reliability of an uptime of technology based on service and all the rest of it. All the rest of it. And, you know, the, the other two big ones there besides the technology and the rapid movement and the service is what we call the economics of ownership. And if you look at a bill of materials of any of these within security, it, it, there are more non-recoverable costs than recoverable costs. So what's a non-recoverable cost? That's licensing, installation, software, profit margin. At the end of the day, if you look at it, there's the, the hardware represents maybe 20, 30% of the bill of materials. So through education, um, we can share that with not only the integrator and tactfully and professionally, they can share that with the customer. There's far greater use for, for cash or CapEx. And the second one, it's they're non-revenue generating. Security equipment and even AV equipment are non-revenue generating. So just the principles of, of finance and investment, you know, let's, let's invest in things that are going to give us a return. Are they essential? Absolutely, but two completely different things. So that those two combined with the rapid movement of technology, that's when you make a powerful recommendation that it, there's, there's a better use for capital. Fantastic. Well, Paul, it's been a wonderful discussion. If people would like to know more about your model or your company, where do they go? Yeah, it's at tamcocorp.com. And uh, unfortunately, we, we don't have services in, in Australia, but we'd be glad to help in any way. We'd be glad to advise or point or consult. We've been carrying the as a service flag um, in the States here for a while. So uh, the more we can educate and teach and encourage folks, uh, we, we firmly believe in what we do. Thank you. That sounds fantastic. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, if you uh, enjoyed this podcast, there are more in the series just like it on the ASIO website, or you can find it on Blurberry, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, uh, Podcast, Pipe Bean, and all the great places that you find podcasts. And we look forward to joining you again next time. Mm -hmm.